Welcome to the AJHP podcast series. The American Journal of Health System Pharmacy is the official journal of the American Society of Health System Pharmacists, an association of pharmacists committed to helping patients make the best use of medications. For more information about AJHP, please visit www.ajhp.org. This is Guy Hasegawa, Senior Editor of the American Journal of Health System Pharmacy, speaking with Dr. Christine Cruz, who is a Translational Research Laboratory Director in the Pharmaceutical Department of St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital in Memphis. Dr. Cruz is also on the faculty of the College of Pharmacy at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center in Memphis. Dr. Cruz is first author of an article titled, Development and Implementation of a Pharmacist-Managed Clinical Pharmacogenetic Service, which is in the January 15, 2011 issue of AJHP. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Cruz. Good morning. I am going to ask you to describe the uh, service at your institution, which after all is the topic of your paper. But first, I'd like you to uh, start off by telling us what you think is the pharmacist's potential role in implementing clinical pharmacogenetics? Well, we think that there's an opportunity for pharmacists to play a substantial role in implementing clinical pharmacogenetics. Pharmacogenetics has been a research field and a research endeavor for several decades now. And the key opportunity now is to move that into patient care and to really use pharmacogenetics information to individualize drug therapy for patients. And the key thing that's needed for that to happen is for an expert to really be able to do the interpretation and the translation of pharmacogenetic um, information about a gene and a drug and apply that to an individual patient's drug therapy regimen. And we think that pharmacists are the key experts that can be doing this as the drug experts. Then can you then describe the pharmacogenetic service that you're involved in at St. Jude's? We designed and implemented our service as an extension of our clinical pharmacokinetic service, where an order can be placed for a clinical pharmacokinetic level, and we have a pharmacist who's involved in every step of that, including interpreting the pharmacokinetic result and placing a pharmacy consult into the chart. So we designed our pharmacogenetic service to really be an extension of that. We think that pharmacogenetics is an extension of therapeutic drug monitoring. Um, it's an extra step that you can use even before a drug is prescribed to get a better idea of a good starting dose or even of a, the right regimen for that patient. We implemented our service working closely with the laboratory professionals in our clinical pharmacokinetics laboratory. Pharmacists were involved in every aspect of developing that. We started with choosing some drug gene pairs that were important and prevalent in our patient population, which is mainly children with cancer. So we chose three important gene drug pairs, and we implemented them. And that's really what the reader can take away is that you can start small and really identify the need in your patient population just to identify one gene drug pair um, that's common and that would benefit from dosage individualization and start there and just start small and expand the service as you see a need in your patient population. What difficulties or challenges uh, did you have as you were developing and implementing this uh, service at St. Jude's? I think the first challenge was selecting the gene drug pairs to focus on. We started with offering three genes that we measure for pharmacogenetics, and those are 
TPMT, which is important in thiopurine use in patients with ALL in our case. Secondly, with cytochrome P452D6, which we chose for its importance in dosing codeine, which is a common drug that we use in our patient population, again, who has a lot of pain control issues. And lastly, UGT1A1, which is a gene that's important for um, the dosing of irinotecan, another drug that we use in our solid tumor population. So I think the first challenge is identifying the genes that are important and that are prevalent in your population. And the second one was education and training of our pharmacists. So we didn't want to just put our pharmacists out there without the proper training. So we actually took some time and spent about three months doing training sessions. We offered ACPE accredited training programs for our pharmacists to get them up to speed on pharmacogenetics as a discipline and specifically on the genes that we were going to focus our service on. And then lastly, one of the challenges is that really the evidence continues to evolve. Obviously, there will be more opportunity for measuring genes and drug combinations in the future. And we found it useful to have a task force that really is charged with the challenge of looking at new evidence as it comes out and deciding which genes to add to our list of pharmacogenetics tests that we offer. Now, from your experience in setting up and running this program, do you have any suggestions for other pharmacists at other institutions who might want to start their own services? Absolutely. The first thing to remember is just to start small. Pick one gene drug pair that's um, prevalent and highly used in your patient population and begin to implement one. Also, what works well is a preemptive approach to these levels because one of the drawbacks of pharmacogenetic testing can be a relatively long turnaround time. It can take several days, especially if you're using a third-party lab. So really identifying a patient who's at a high probability to receive the drug in question, and doing preemptive pharmacogenetic testing is really the ideal situation. And that's what we have done for two of our gene and drug pairs that we offer in our ALL patients. And that's for for TPMT and for CYP2D6. We actually do preemptive testing in all of our ALL patients as they come in because these patients are going to be ones who have a high likelihood of seeing thiopurines and also of seeing codeine and having pain issues in the course of their therapy. So we have designed our testing to happen before these patients have a need for the drugs in question. So that turnaround time is not an issue. I also think that it's important to develop standard processes to actually have a consult template written so that you're not starting from scratch. You're not trying to write a new consult for each patient to actually have a a template that you can work from. And then you can, of course, individualize the wording for an individual patient to make your recommendation. Um, That's very helpful. And lastly, the one thing that we couldn't have done without is our electronic medical record system, having a system for using clinical decision support. By this, I mean that we were able to set up a system of alerts so that if a patient, for example, for CYP2D6, a patient who is a poor metabolizer for CYP2D6, an alert will fire if an order is written for codeine in a patient who's a poor metabolizer. This alert will fire. And we think that having the abilities to do this with your electronic medical record is really key because pharmacogenetic can be a test with lifelong implications. That's the difference between a therapeutic drug monitoring result and a pharmacogenetics result is that 
your genetic makeup will not change over your, the course of your life. And so having a one-time measurement of CYP2D6 can be informative for the rest of the patient's care and for the rest of the patient's life. And so entering this into the electronic medical record and really having a way for an alert to fire to help the clinicians who are prescribing, you know, maybe in the future to remember that this patient is a poor metabolizer, for example, is really key to making this work smoothly. Great advice. Now, let me ask you this. When, if ever, will we see pharmacogenetics in wider use and what needs to happen to uh, enable that to occur? Well, I think that what we'll see is a steady growth of use of pharmacogenetics over the next few years. I don't think there'll be an explosion. I think medicine is so evidence-based now that as the evidence emerges for specific gene-drug combinations, I think we'll begin to see specific tests adopted over time. What we're really anticipating is that we might add just a handful of these tests each year, like maybe two additional tests per year. We're anticipating our service growing. And I think that it will be, rather than a widespread explosion, I think that we will see steady growth in this. What we would need to see for advancement or increased use is more knowledge on the pharmacist's part and really on clinicians' part on the relationship between genes and drugs and the ability to do preemptive testing and also the ability for medical records to handle the use of these alerts is really what makes it possible to do this. You mentioned more knowledge on the part of pharmacists. For those pharmacists who want to learn more about pharmacogenetics, what would you recommend as potential resources? That's a great question. So there are really many great web-based resources for learning, and the one that I really like to refer people to is the website called farmgkb.org. It's www.farmgkb.org. It's part of the Pharmacogenetics Research Network, which is funded by the NIH. This website has a lot of information on specific gene. You can search by gene, you can search by drug and see the pharmacogenetics considerations for that drug. And it also has links to relevant clinical trials, which have looked at this gene and this drug. And that's a really a great starting place. Of note, several of our staff here from St. Jude are involved in a working group within the Pharmacogenetics Research Network, which is called CPIC. It's the Clinical Pharmacogenetics Implementation Consortium. And the CPIC has been charged with writing and publishing guidelines specifically for the use of individual gene-drug pairs. As that evidence comes out from clinical trials and in the clinical literature, the CPIC has been charged with writing guidelines and publishing them. And our first guideline will be in print this spring in the journal CPNT, and that's going to be focused on TPMT and thiopurines. And we envision that over the course of 2011 and in subsequent years, we'll have um, several other guidelines that are coming out. As the evidence rises to expand to the use in clinical medicine of a particular gene-drug pair, this consortium will be involved with putting guidelines out there to really help with this this interface, which can be the sticky part of translating this into what you do for a particular patient and for a particular drug regimen, is to have guidelines out there to help clinicians make that move. Great. That's about all we have time for today, so I'm going to wrap this up. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Cruz. It's been my pleasure. This is Guy Hasegawa, Senior Editor of the American Journal of Health System Pharmacy. I've been speaking with Dr. Christine Cruz about her paper, Development and Implementation of a Pharmacist-Managed Clinical Pharmacogenetic Service, which is in the January 15, 2011 issue of AJHP. 
That concludes this podcast. For more information, please visit www.ajhp.org.